You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We're preparing for our centennial celebration, which is a week from tonight, 100 years that we have seen the faithfulness of God toward the Highland family. We're looking so forward to seeing you at that, so much to celebrate. So what I've been doing the last few weeks, I'll do next Sunday morning as well, is I'm going back to some sermons that were preached here at Highland 100 years ago, back in the 1920s, from our founding pastor, uh, mainly a reminder that God's word is always good and always right and always authoritative for all people at all places at all times. And so um, this morning, we continue in, in that thought of going back to a sermon that was preached uh, many, many decades ago to the very first generation of, of Highlanders. I wanted you to see a picture of the first sanctuary um, here at Highland. It, it's um, just about 200 yards from here. It's where the chapel is now. But you see that was built in 1927, and the cost was $40,000, the price of a Toyota Tacoma today by the very first church. And so the first Highlanders stayed there and worshiped in that building uh, for 45 years. That's right there at the corner of 30th and, and Maple. I just wanted to kind of let you see that to be mindful that there are people who came before us who, who were faithful to the Lord, walked with the Lord, faithful to, to give, faithful to missions, faithful to God's word, faithful to one another. And, and you and I, we stand on the shoulders of those who, who came before us, the women and the men who love the Lord. I love this thought of having a church here on this corner to proclaim the good news of Christ. With your copy of God's Word, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians. Galatians, the New Testament, it's about nine books in. Not about, it actually is nine books in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. You make your way to Galatians. And you can turn anywhere there in the book of Galatians you want to. I want to give you a few things on context first, a little historical context of what's happening here in this book. Paul is writing this. Uh, not to a church, but to churches in the region of, of Galatia. Therefore, it's called Galatians. So you can go anywhere you want to the book of Galatians. I'll, I'll give you a landing spot here in just a second. A little context for those who like context. In the first century, there were two growing groups here in Galatia. You have the, the Jews who have come to know Christ, and so Messianic Jews, a Jewish congregation or Jewish Christians, and that group is growing, many turning away from, from their belief just in the Old Testament of Judaism and turning to this new way of Christianity. The second group that you have that's growing as well, these are non-Jewish Christians, and they're growing in number as well. In fact, there are many of these non-Jewish Christians that lived in this region of, of Galatia. Now, this sounds really exciting that, that two Christian groups are growing, but the Jewish Christians wanted the non-Jewish Christians to behave in such a way that it took them back to the Torah, took them back to the Old Testament, which means male circumcision, no more pork sandwiches, and following the rules of, of Sabbath. Many other rules on top of that, but there's 613 rules of the Old Testament. And so the, the Jewish Christians were telling the, the non-Jewish Christians, it's great that you have turned to Jesus and you're obeying Jesus, but you also need to obey the practices of the Old Testament, the practices of the law. So Paul is telling them here in the book of Galatians, no. Non-Jewish Christians, you don't have to follow Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not the Old Testament plus Jesus or the law plus Jesus. And so he's writing this letter specifically to the Jewish Christians, telling them stop doing that, and the non-Jewish Christians saying you don't have to do that. The cross of Christ is 
sufficient. The work of Jesus on the cross has been completed. It is enough. So chapters one and chapters two, uh, or chapters one and two of Galatians, uh, Paul is talking about the cross of Christ and how the cross of Jesus is the basis for the gospel, the basis for the good news, not adherence to the Old Testament ways, not an adherence to the Jewish law of the Old Testament. In fact, kind of the, the scripture that, that sums up chapter one and two is chapter two, verse 16. Now this is not on the screen, but it is in your copy of God's word. So look at Galatians chapter two, look at verse 16. Actually, let's back it up to verse 15. This is what chapter one and chapter two basically is, is about. Paul is saying, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified or not given right standing with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will have right standing with, with God. So Paul is telling the, the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, there's only one way to have right standing with God, and that is through the person, the work, the cross, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and nothing else, not the law. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see that this cross, this cross of Christ is now producing this new multi-ethnic family, Jews, non-Jews, Free, slave, black, white, all the beautiful shades in between. Now look at chapter 3, look at verse 27 with me. Kind of summarizes, if you will, chapter 3 and chapter 4. This, this new multi-ethnic family that the cross is creating. Uh, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. And that's not a picture of water baptism. That's a picture of, re, of union or relationship with Christ. And you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you have this new multi-ethnic family being born out of the cross of Christ. Then chapters five and six, we begin to see that we live and grow in this grace by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's activity inside of us, bearing fruit in our lives. And then Paul wraps up this letter and gets us to our passage today in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. This will be the passage we're in this morning. Paul begins in 6.11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Let's just stop real quick right there. That's one of two things probably happening. Uh, maybe he decided to do all cap because that was kind of just his way of like really driving the point home. It's like he's shouting at us and he wanted to make sure that we saw this. But more than likely, that's not what it means. It means that because he does not have good eyesight or because he has not been writing with his own hand, which is what it says here, I'm going to write this by my own hand, uh, Paul would often hear from the Lord and then would share it with a scribe who would then write that letter down, someone who could probably had good handwriting, someone who could see well. But now Paul is saying, let me see that pen. Like, I would like to write this part in my own, my own handwriting. And so he either did in all caps to, to get across the point or he did all caps because he's getting old and he can't see. Can you imagine having eyesight problems with no eyeglasses and, and, and no contacts? And so here he is writing out this portion of the letter in his own writing with these large letters. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and, and only in order that, that, you may not, that they may not be persecuted by the cross of Christ. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not keep themselves, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me 
to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That is what truly counts. Verse 12 and, and verse 13, this is Paul going to these Jewish Christians, these Judaizers, and are talking about them. He is writing about them. And he's basically saying these three things, that they do this, that they're trying to get you to go back to the Old Testament because they want to show off their spirituality. They want you to know that they know something you don't know, namely the Torah, namely the Old Testament, namely the first five books of the Old Testament. And so this is their way of showing off their spirituality, which is why it says here in verse 12 that they were trying to make a good showing in the flesh. They wanted to be seen for their spiritual intellect. They wanted to be seen for their spirituality. But it also says here at the very end of verse 12, they want to make a good showing for you by, by forcing you to be circumcised because you know that Old Testament law in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they're trying to steer clear of suffering. If they're going to follow Jesus, these Jewish Christians, they're going to follow Jesus, they did not want to suffer. They did not want to be persecuted. I said something at, at Baylor a few weeks ago that riled a few people up. I got a few emails about it. And because it riled some people up, I'm going to say it again. Here's what I said a few weeks ago. <laughs> Suffering as a Christian is just as normal as going to church. Suffering as a Christian is just as normal as feeding the hungry. Suffering as a Christian is just as normal as you and I coming into this room and singing songs of worship to the Lord. But these are some immature believers, if there are Christians at all, saying we don't want to be persecuted. We want the life in Christ, but we don't want to suffer in Christ. And so they're trying to steer clear of, of persecution. Here's the third thing you see. They're trying to cover their own sin. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They're trying to cover their own sin with the law. They're trying to cover their own sin by, by passing this gospel plus law on to others. But we see here in verse 14 as Paul comes to this place and he says, no, far be it from me to boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. For through that cross, I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. So this is how R.E. Smith preached this sermon 100 years ago. First of all, with this, Paul thought he had a lot to glory in. Paul, up to this point in his life, up to the point really of his, of his salvation, when Jesus met him on the, on the way to Damascus, up to this point, Paul thought he had a lot of things that he could glory in. Here's the five things that Paul could have gloried in. Ancestry, education, morals, citizenship, future prospects, I mean, Paul could have sat back and said, yeah, I can glory in all of these things. I can boast in, in all of these things. Now, I'm not going to because I can't right now. I can't boast in anything but the cross, but I could have. He thought he could have gloried in those five things. In ancestry, because Paul was, was Jewish, not just Jewish. He was a Benjaminite. He was from the tribe of, of Benjamin, the elite tribe that gave status, that gave a lot of recognition. It says later on in the book of Philippians that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So Paul had status, he probably had income, he had recognition, so he had the ancestry, he also had education. Uh, as you read through Paul's letters in, in the New Testament, Paul's ability to read and write with this rhetorical sophistication 
shows that he had some incredible formal education. In fact, back in Acts chapter 22, Luke tells us that Saul, who was, before he was Paul, he was Saul, that Saul was, was raised under Gamaliel, who was this brilliant legal mind of the day, a Pharisee. And so he had that one-on-one training, that one-on-one tutoring, where it says in Acts 22, he was strictly educated according to the Jewish law. He also had morals. You know that Paul was a Pharisee. In fact, he identifies himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was upstanding within the community. He was moral in all of his ways. In Philippians chapter three, he says of himself, as to righteousness, I was blameless. So Paul was striving for perfection. He was striving to be moral. He had citizenship. He was a Roman citizen, although he was also a Hellenistic Jew born in, in Tarsus. This gave him all kinds of privilege, of all kinds of carte blanches. He could just walk into anything, any place. People knew him because of his citizenship. He had credentials of privilege for everything. And then lastly, he had all these future prospects. Here's this young guy who was up and coming on the scene. He was the guy who was leading the persecution against the Christians. Easily, he could become uh, the leader of the Pharisees or a chief priest. He could become a, a wealthy politician. So he has all these things he could have boasted in. All these things in which he could have gloried. Ancestry and education, that's his past. Citizenship and morality, that's his present. His future prospects, the future. Probably a lot of people in this room could, could think through a lot of the things in which you could boast. A lot of things that you have, a lot of achievements in which you could glory. Uh, probably a lot in this room, you, you have good family background, good upbringing. A lot in this room, you, you're, you're moral, you desire to be moral, at least on a comparative basis to all the immorality that's happening around us. A lot of you in this room, you, you're in the middle of a good education or you've achieved a good education. A lot of, in this place today, you could glory in in the good health you have, the good number of friends you have, your, your status on campus, your status in this city. And Paul thought he had a lot of things that he could, he could glory in. There's a lot of this, in this building today who have unlimited future prospects. So kind of the question for my heart today, and the question I'll just pass along to all of our hearts today is simply this. What is your glory? In what do you boast? Then Artie Smith asked this question, how did it switch? Like, like what happened for, for Paul not to glory into the things of the flesh and his achievements, the things that he's received? And his answer was, it was easily this, or it was quickly this, not easily. How do you switch from being able to, to glory or wanting to glory and boast in all the things that you have, finding glory in himself and his achievements and his possessions and his privileges? How do you then begin to boast only in the cross of Christ? And R.A. Smith said, well, it wasn't easy, but here's how it was. But it switched by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Beginning of verse 14 in chapter 6, Paul says, but far be it from me to boast. In other words, he could have. I, I, I could boast in these things, but far be it from me. R.A. Smith would submit to us, and I fully agree, it switched inside of Paul because of his belief in the gospel and the activity of the Holy Spirit inside of him. It, the same is true for every believer in this room today. What's, what's going to cause us to, to move from this self-glory, this boasting of what we have and what we've done and what we've achieved, into living a life instead that boasts in nothing more than the cross of Jesus Christ. It's going to have to be the gospel. 
this good news that God loved us enough that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to go to a cross where we should have been to die in our place. And then for this Jesus to be raised again on the third day to show, to prove, to give evidence that he is the Lord. This is what, what Paul believed. And then he had the activity of the Holy Spirit living inside of him. We see that again so much in chapter five and chapter six. So until we believe the gospel, that we give Jesus our sins and we take the righteousness of Christ into our own lives and until we're governed by the Holy Spirit, we will always glory in ourselves. We will always boast in our achievements. We'll always glory in our possessions and the things that we have or we'll glory in our friend group or we'll glory in our grades or we'll, we'll glory in our good looks. Which by the way, good looks fade fast. They fade fast. So Ari Smith asked this question. Why glory in the cross? A hundred years ago, that question was asked of Highlanders. And he gives us five great reasons why you and I should glory in the cross of Christ, why we should boast in the cross of Christ and nothing else that we have and nothing else that we have achieved. First of all, it is worthy glory. In other words, it's, 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 it's the opposite of worthless glory. So many things that we have are simply worthless in eternity. Now, many of the things that you have right now do have worth, but is that worth going to be there forever? Because anything that you have that can fade, be broken, be stolen, be lost, anything you have like that is actually not worthy of glory. But the cross is still bringing worth to people today. The cross is bringing worth to people in this room. The cross is bringing worth to people around the world today. It is this glory that we have, and it's a worthy glory. Secondly, it's an enduring glory. Why should every Christian in this house today glory in the cross of Christ, boast in the cross of Christ? Because it is an enduring glory. This is glory that lasts. The glory of this world, and air quotes, the glory of this world is temporary. I mean, the glory of winning a championship in anything is great until next year when another team wins. And all of a sudden, that glory has, has faded. You know, the day after the Super Bowl, most Americans can tell you the winner. But let 36 months pass, we've forgotten who's even played in the Super Bowl. I mean, the, the pinnacle of, of sports in our nation. And, and 36 months later, can we even remember what happened on February the 2nd, 2020? The Super Bowl... You might know who, who won. It was, it was the Kansas City Chiefs. Anybody remember who they played? Anybody remember who they played? Is this thing on? 49ers. I mean, everybody else who has a life in this room did not know that, but some people, some of our sports nerds knew that for sure. It was a Kansas City Chiefs fan that yelled it out in the 840 today. I mean, how quickly we forget that the pinnacle of winning the Super Bowl just 36 months ago, it's not an enduring glory. The, the applause at the Grammys, it dies out. The applause at, at the Oscars, at the ESPYs, it, it dies out. The applause of a Big 12 championship, the applause of pigskin, it, it dies out. But not the cross. The glory of the cross endures. I mean, here we are 2,000 years after the cross and we're still singing about it. Here we are 2,000 years after the cross and we're still reveling in it. 
We're still boasting in it. It is an enduring glory. Thirdly, it is our only glory. In other words, the cross of Jesus is not just one more thing in which we can boast. It's not just one more thing in which we can glory. It's the only thing we can boast in. The cross is everything to me. The cross is everything to you because it reconciles us to God. This is my greatest need, so this becomes my greatest boast. I needed the cross of Christ. It is my only glory. There's nothing else to glory in. I mean, nothing else can save us. Not our own righteousness, not our own striving for perfection, not our own self-discipline, not our own behavior, not our own personality. The cross is our only glory, our only boasting, because nothing else can bring us to God. Fourthly, it is all-sufficient glory. In other words, the cross in which we glory is the only glory we need. As a result of that, every good thing comes flowing from, from the cross. Every good thing comes from the cross. Even every bad thing that God can turn good comes from the cross. We wrongly assume in this room that somehow we deserve the blessings of God. We, we wrongly would think in this room that, that somehow God owes his blessings to us. But the reality is this. Every good thing we have comes from the grace of God. And the pinnacle of the grace of God is the cross of his son, Jesus. So I look in my life, and I think about my wife, Jennifer, our two kids, their two spouses, our, our granddaughters. I consider these incredible friends that, that God has put around me. The inexpressible joy of getting to serve you week in and week out as a shepherd here, here at Highland. Every good thing I have comes from the cross. Every good thing that you have comes from the cross of Christ. Anything good we experience in this life and in this world is evidence of God's grace toward sinners. Fifthly, this is powerful to me. The cross, we glory in it because it carries us. The cross carries us through death and judgment. So apart from Christ's death on the cross, we deserve nothing but condemnation from God. The cross of Christ is where Jesus took our sins and placed it upon himself and then took his righteousness and gave it to us. The cross of Christ is where all things are possible when it comes to forgiveness and eternity. When we believe upon the work of the cross, Christ dying in our, in our place, the cross will carry us through death. That cross will carry us through judgment. And so we boast in the cross because the cross is the place where all of our sins were heaped upon the Son. And we now have this ability to experience life and the goodness of God and just let that cross carry us right through death and right through judgment. Here's how Ari Smith wrapped this up. How does the cross then impact our lives? Look, look back at, it, at Galatians chapter six, one more time, verse 14. But, but far be it from me to boast. In other words, I could boast, but I'm not gonna boast. I can't boast. I, I don't wanna glory. I can't glory, except, great phrase there, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, through that cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So how does the cross impact our lives? Firstly, we are crucified to the world. Christian, this means that 
you are no longer a slave to this world. Christian, this means that the cross has freed us from the bondage of this world. Paul is saying right here, I don't have anything to do with the systems of the world anymore. All all the lust of, of the world, all the desires of the world, all the materialism of the world, all the worries of the world, I don't have anything to do with it anymore. I'm out of it. The world is dead to me. Paul is saying right here, I have died to the world because I am in Christ. And I live in another place and I live for another person. Solely the person of Jesus Christ. This is how the cross impacts our lives. But but secondly, the world is crucified to us. The world does not own us anymore. The the death of Christ has changed my relationship and your relationship, Christian, to to the world. I I don't see it the way I used to see it. not dominated anymore by the way that I used to be dominated by the world. Christian, you've been separated from the world by your union with Christ into his death and into his resurrection. We should have, listen, We should have a distaste for the values and the vanities of this world because we've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to us. We don't love the systems of this world anymore. At the cross, at the cross, I see that I am dead to the world and the world is dead to me. The world has nothing for me but I find my everything in Christ. Just consider that phrase again. The world has nothing for me, but Christ is everything to me. The world has nothing for me, and Christ is everything for me. How different would our lives be? I mean, let's just take this week. If this was not just some phrase repeated by the preacher on Sunday morning, but something that you and I actually lived in, the world is nothing to us. But Christ is everything. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reminder today that I guess we could try to boast in a few things, a few of our achievements, a few things that we've received. Maybe we could boast in some of our accomplishments. We could boast in some of our future prospects. But God, may we join the words of Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, may be far from us to boast in anything, to glory in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ by which I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. God, we glory today, we boast today in the cross of Jesus. It's worthy glory, it's it's lasting, enduring glory, it's our only glory, the all-sufficient glory, everything good comes from the cross to us. We glory in it because the cross will carry us through death, through judgment, to eternity with you. In this we boast, in this we glory. In the name of the one who laid his life down on the cross for us, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs about the faithfulness of God, about this hope that we have, this glory that we have in the cross of Christ. We're going to have some prayer leaders here at the front. Maybe you'd want to come down and just pray with somebody. Maybe you're struggling with some things in your life. Maybe there's a situation you're walking through. 
you want to share with us how we can pray for you. We'll pray for you right here. Or if you want to, walk right past the prayer leaders and just come and kneel here at the front. And if you're looking for some prayer to pray, this might be it. God, the world has nothing for me. But your son, Jesus, has everything for me. The world is nothing to me. Jesus is everything to me. Won't you sing? Won't you please come?